Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. What I want to share this morning, I don't think it's going to be a very long one, but I haven't preached it, so I don't know. It's something I mention quite frequently, actually, in my in my messages. I mention it on the oblique or as an illustration or just as a reminder, but I just wanted to look at it a little more closely, a little more in-depth, to stir you up by way of reminder. I know this is a truth that you know, most of you know, but I just want to make sure that the things we are saying about God and His promises and His blessings, we are seeing them in a particular context. And before I get to what I'm actually talking about, i got to give you some background. All right? So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, we don't need to go back that far, but we will go, we'll go back briefly, uh, at least referring to Genesis, because it is in Genesis we read where God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans and made a covenant with him. The long game, bless you, the long game was <laughs> that, that, that it was through Abraham that God, it's through the, the lineage of Abraham that God was going to bring the Messiah to the world, the Savior to the world. He promised Abraham, promised him many things, but it's most succinctly stated this way, I will bless you, I will make you a blessing, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And it is that last phrase, I will bless all the families of the earth because of you or in you, it's because of, uh, it was from his lineage that Jesus was going to be given to the world, right? We know this, right? So, uh, but God made a promise to Abraham. It wasn't just looking clear down through the centuries and even the millennia. He made a promise that he would give him, or give all of the land that he led him to. He brings him out of Ur, brings him to this new land, and says, everywhere you put your foot, this land is going to be yours. It's going to go to your descendants. Now, Abraham lived uh, intense, not intensely, he lived in tents, uh, and, and wandered and didn't become a landowner, in that, uh, an official landowner in that part of the world until he bought a uh, burial plot for his wife. Uh, but that promise was there, that all this land would go to him and his descendants his descendants. And he said, you're going to have a lot of descendants. Um, numerous children. And Abraham had one son, Isaac. Well, he also had Ishmael, and he had children by Keturah as well. But Isaac was the child of promise. It was through Isaac's lineage that these promises would be fulfilled. And then uh, Isaac, of course, had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob, as we read last week, received the blessing. Uh, the birthright. And it was going to go through Jacob next. Sorry. And Jacob fathered 12 sons of his own. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. God of Israel. God of Jacob. And uh, the 12 sons of Jacob become the 12 tribes of Israel. And I'm leaving out some details, but that's okay. I'm skipping some stuff. I've got to get where I'm going. Joseph, Jacob's favorite son is sold into slavery and winds up in Egypt where he eventually rises to become the prime minister, second in Egypt only to Pharaoh himself. And the whole family, because of a drought uh, and a famine, 
relocates to Egypt as royal guests. There are some 70, 72 of them at this point, I think, move to Egypt and settle there. And over the course of the next several hundred years, they grow into probably millions. Now Abraham has a lot of descendants in the land, but uh, just a generation or two after they move into that land, they are enslaved by the Egyptians because they were growing so fast the Egyptians were afraid that they were going to become too many, too powerful, so they lose their favored status and they are laboring for the Egyptians as slaves. And then they cry out to God. They knew God existed, but now they're crying out for deliverance. And God raised up Moses to work his deliverance through. You need to understand something here because it's important. I brought all that up because you need to remember that it wasn't like Israel was just this country and you had these people called Israelites and God looked down and decided, I'm going to just randomly pick this nation to do something with. They were who they were because they were the descendants of Abraham. And they called on God because they knew they were the rightful inheritors of a promise that God made to Abraham. How detailed was their memory of this promise? I do not know. But they weren't ignorant. And they knew enough to call on God. And they knew, I believe, that chief among those promises was that he would give them a particular land, Canaan, which was now inhabited by several other nations. But anyway, I mean, God had his plan. He had his timeline, and there were two reasons it, 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 it took a few hundred years. One was he waited until they cried out to him. The other one was he was going to displace these nations that were now inhabiting the land of Canaan but he, he was going to wait until their sin was full. You can see this 400 years as a, an example, a great example of God's patience. He gave them hundreds of years to get their lives right, to turn to him, to repent from the sin they were doing until their cup of sin was full. And then God was going to use his people, Israel, to judge them and displace them. Okay? Now, he leads them out of Egypt. And he does so with a great display of power. And he continued to display his power on their journey. They stop at Sinai, he gives them the law, and they appoint priests, and they build the tabernacle, which was kind of a portable version of what would, would one day be the temple. And after almost a year, they come to the Jordan and are ready to cross into the land of promise, and they don't cross into the land of promise. They chicken out. They send spies into the land. Spies, 10 of the 12, brought back a bad report. And so now they are uh, sentenced to wander for 40 years until the generation that refused to enter the land of promise dies out. And then the next generation, 40 years later, they find themselves standing again at the Jordan. And Moses delivers his valediction. He's giving them the final sermon before they go in Moses himself knowing he can't go uh, he had sinned he had done one uh, done something uh, very disappointing toward the end of his ministry there and God told him you're not going to dishonor me like that I'll let you see this land and I'm going to receive you to myself but you're not going to enter that good land so Moses being the good leader he is gives them this sermon and we see it in the book of Deuteronomy 
It is a superb book, and I strongly encourage you to read it if you haven't in a while or if you haven't ever. But what he does is he reviews their history. He reminds them, here's what we've been doing for the last 40 years. Here's how it's been. Here's why what has gone down has gone down. And here is how good God has been to us every step of the way. He reviews their history, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He recites the law. And then in chapter 28, we read this. I'm going to read a kind of a long passage here, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 28. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, highlight that word or underline that word all, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall, you, shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise, up, who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Pretty good so far, huh? The Lord, and you should be sitting there thinking, wow, I would like it if God spoke something like that over me. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you, if you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you were called by the name of, of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain in your land in its season, and bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. So, you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day, to the right or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. But, it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that, the, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in. Cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you cursing, <laughs> confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish, and your heavens which are over your head shall be bronze, and the earth 
which is under you shall be iron. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From the heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. Earlier in chapter 7, we read another version of this. This is a much shorter passage, so bear with me and I'll say some things. In verse 12 of uh, Deuteronomy 7. Then it shall come to pass, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock and the land which he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed uh, above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or, um, or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt, which you have known, but will lay them all on those who hate you. And it goes on again to stress the importance. You can read it. Uh, read, read, read in between everything I just read, and it'll, it, you'll see it. he goes on to stress the importance of their holding up their end of the covenant. We can see that all of these blessings, were it was very conditional. Then we see God's clear desire. I can just sense the excitement of the Father's heart saying, this is what I want to do for you. And all you have to do is do every single thing I tell you to do. You've got to know my law. But that's only the first step. The reason you need to know it is so that you can do it. Well, how much of it, Lord? All of it. And all these blessings are predicated upon your obedience. Does this smell a little bit like a setup to you? Now, it's not because built into the law is this wonderful thing called the sacrifice system. Knowing what we are made of, he knows that we are dust, he knows that we had the sin nature, he Put, he built right into to the law, to their legal system, a system of sacrifices so that when they violated God's law, when they failed to keep the covenant, they could atone for their sins, make atonement through the sacrifice of an animal. All right? And it's a very complicated system, but it was spelled out, and they had priests to, to administer it and make sure it was done. The problem was, as you know, if you have read the story of the history of Old Testament Israel, they wouldn't even keep that part right. It wasn't enough that they didn't follow his commandments. They went through whole periods of time when the book of the law was just gone. Do you remember when Josiah, uh, young King Josiah, is, uh, is doing some repair work in the temple and these, and these uh, workers come in and say, look what we found. <laughs> it's covered in dust. It was buried in there in the wreckage of the temple. It's the book of the law. And Josiah, who, who was already doing some good stuff, he reads the law and he practically pulls his hair out. And he says, my God, we're not doing any of this stuff. Hurry, let's start doing it because we're under a curse. This is the way, this is the way it went. So, um, in fact, if you'll go back and read the rest of chapter 28, it gets a little, not just a little, it gets very, very sad. And you can see this moment where Moses shifts from saying, you know, he starts with this, if you will keep my law, all of it, 
You're going to be blessed here, blessed there, blessed in this, blessed in that. Uh, you're going to be overflowing, and everybody's going to see how good I am to you. But if you don't, then you're going to be cursed here, cursed there. All these things are going to happen to you. And then he shifts over into actual prophesying. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to set a king over yourselves. And these kings are going to lead you into sin. And they're going to cause you to worship idols. He's not just saying, hey, be careful, you don't do this. It's prophecy. He's seeing hundreds of years into the future about exactly what took place. First under the judges, then under the kings, especially the later kings. And says, and you're going to think you're great. A passage I'm not reading today talks about how, again, you see this excitement. This is going to be so good for you. When you go in there, there's already going to be houses built for you. You can move right in, and you didn't have to build the houses. There are going to be vineyards already planted, orchards planted, crops planted. You don't even have to plant them. Your enemies already planted them and built these things for you. You're just going to move in, and I want this for you, but be careful because once you get settled, your tendency is going to be to forget me. You're going to wake up one day thinking you did all this by yourself. Don't forget the Lord your God. But he prophesies all of these things that are going to happen to Israel and says, and you're going to get cocky, you're going to forget God, and you're going to think you're all this, and then I'm going to show you. But I'm going to bring in a vicious nation to discipline you and to teach you that you're not all that. That you are not Israel because you decided to be Israel. You are Israel because I have called you. I have called you my people. I've chosen you. So we read all of these things. that We read, we read about them in Deuteronomy, then we read them happening in Kings and Chronicles. All these things that are going to happen to Israel because of their disobedience. Now why? With all of these promises and all of these warnings, did they persist in disobedience? We know the answer. It's because we cannot, by our own effort, change our nature. We are conceived in sin. We are born in sin. And it is this condition that dooms us to commit acts of sin. We are acting out of our sin nature. And when we sin, we open up the path of these curses. It's all the curse of the law. Poverty, sickness, and death are the main elements of it. Poverty, sickness, and death. Look at this in John chapter 5. This is the healing of the man, the crippled man, some say paralyzed man, at the pool of Bethesda. He'd been there, he'd been infirm for 38 years. And it's an interesting intro to this story. It talks about the water being troubled, the angel, and there's some mysterious stuff there that we won't talk about this morning. I just want to get right to the healing. Look at verse 8, John chapter 5, verse 8. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Uh-oh. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it's the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Boggles my mind every time I read it because these guys had to have known who this guy. They sh these 38 years he's been hanging out at this pool, sick, and they see him carrying his bed, and that's what pops into their mind. Hey, what are you doing carrying stuff on the Sabbath? 
And, they, and uh, he answered them, verse 11, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Yeah, the guy that made me walk told me to carry my bed. I'm going to listen to him. And they asked him, verse 12, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. What? Can you imagine? You've just been healed of something that has kept you from participating in life, in society, for 38 years. Wonderful deliverance. And then Jesus says to him, what? Be careful not to sin any more, lest something worse comes upon you. Oh, no. Now, from that moment on, are you going to be walking in a holy reverence of God or in pure fear of your own sin? Because I know what I'm doing. If I'm that guy, I'm just going to be sweating constantly. I'm just going to be worried constantly. That, and, and, and already, oh, I've blown it. I'm worrying. Worry's a sin. Worry isn't faith. Now, he didn't say, if you sin again, something absolutely worse will absolutely come on you instantly. What's he saying? You're opening up the possibility of something worse coming upon you. I do not think. We've got to be careful here. I'm going to get to the good news here in a minute, I promise. But I don't believe Jesus is saying, God will make you sicker than you were if you sin. And I don't believe Jesus was saying the reason you were lame in the first place is because of your sin. You know, just a few chapters later, in chapter 9, one of my favorite healing stories, Jesus heals a man who was born blind. And as they see him there, the disciples asked him, do you remember what they asked him? Uh, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They knew there was a connection between sin and sickness. And they asked him, so whose fault is it that this guy was born blind? Was it his own sin or was it his parents' sin? And Jesus said, neither. Now we know that if Jesus was saying none of that, he has never sinned and his parents have never sinned. If he's saying that, he's contradicting practically everything else the Bible says about the sin nature, right? There's none righteous, no, not one. He wasn't saying that neither this man nor his parents had ever sinned. He was saying, you're connecting this wrong. This blindness is not punishment for anybody's particular sin. We live in a cursed world, surrounded by sin. When, when Adam sinned, he brought the world down with him. And sickness, and poverty, and brokenness of every kind has poisoned this very world. You see, sickness as well as every other manifestation of the curse. You know, we talk about poverty, sickness, death, plagues, disasters. All these things exist because sin exists. I'll put it that way. So you and I are exposed every day to the same stuff that infects the world. Just like we're exposed to the same germs that infect the world. But, and I read this, uh, somebody made this distinction, Guy Dunnick, as a matter of fact, I was reading a post of his. 
He says there's a difference between being exposed to something and being susceptible to something. That a person with a strong immune system can walk into a room of sick people and not be taking a big risk. But a person with a weak immune system can walk into the same room and they're risking a lot. They're probably going to get sick. We'll talk about what that immunity is here in just a little bit. Now remember, when I say, uh, we talk about this uh, uh, exposed but not susceptible. We have to remember that when Jesus went to the cross, that was always God's plan. He didn't say, I set up this perfect law, and we know his law was perfect, right? The law itself says it is. Psalms says it is. The law of the Lord is perfect. Uh, and he sets up this sacrifice system. And God didn't one day say, well, this isn't working. We're going to have to try something else. I guess I will give my son instead. Jesus was always plan A. So what was the role of the law? What was the law for? What does Paul say? It was a schoolmaster. It points us to Jesus, and it points us to our need for Jesus. This is what the law did. It showed Israel what was wrong with them. And over hundreds of years, it finally dawns on them that we can't, by nature, we are incapable of keeping the law to the degree it's necessary for us to be counted righteous before God. And therefore, we are never going to be completely qualified to receive these promises in Deuteronomy. What, what Jesus told the man at the pool what he was doing was simply affirming what God had said to Israel through Moses. Sin makes you susceptible to the curse. Jesus, remember, had not been to the cross yet. Jesus said what he said to the man at the pool, ministering still under the law. The good news is that Jesus became sin for us. He took the curse, all of it, on himself. Blessings come from fulfilling the law, and Jesus did that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now keep in mind, there is much of the law, particularly speaking of the moral law, that is still in force. It is still in play. He didn't say Christ abolished the law. He said Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, meaning because of Christ, it is no longer through the law that we seek righteousness. And he's saying here the Jews continue to make this mistake. My desire is for them to be saved, but they're, they're getting it wrong. They're still trying to get to God by their own righteousness. Christ put an end to that. Do you see now just how huge a deal it is to be in Christ? How deeply thankful we need to be every day that God has placed us in Christ. 
he fulfilled the law. Therefore, all the blessings of Abraham, all the promises to Israel, he and he alone is qualified to receive. But what he took instead was the curse that we were qualified to receive and so richly deserve. And the righteousness that is his becomes ours because we are in him. We are blessed because we are in him. To put it another way, experiencing the blessings of God has always been conditional, on, dependent upon obedience. But for us, it's dependent on Christ's obedience, not ours. There is a place for obedience. You'd better believe me. There is a place for holy living, but it's not to achieve righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now, we combine this truth, this reality, with the power of the tongue, the word of faith, our confession of faith. We talk, and we, and we should, rightfully so. We should speak over our bodies, right? Not just pray for healing, but claim healing when we see it as a promise. What did he say? This goes clear back there and, and earlier, but right there in Deuteronomy. I will take all sickness away from you. I'll put none of the diseases of the Egyptians on you. I'm going to put them on your enemies instead. Now, I'm not going to speak sickness over my enemies, but I'm going to speak deliverance from sickness over me. And you need to as well. But look at all of those promises. I know it was a long passage, but it didn't take but just a few minutes to read that. How about we speak all of those blessings over ourselves because all the promises of God are yes and amen for those of us who are in Christ. Remember, we are only qualified because of what Jesus did. But because of what he did, we are indeed qualified. We don't get this on our own. All glory and all praise and all honor to Jesus Christ who fulfilled everything necessary to receive those blessings, but those blessings are still promised to us. Speak them over yourself. We live day by day. We should be speaking these blessings over ourselves, but also exercising our faith and speaking over ourselves that because I'm saved, because the Holy Spirit dwells in me, because I've been placed in Christ, I live differently. I can live a life that is pleasing to God. I walk not just with imputed righteousness, but I walk, as it says in Psalm 23, in paths of righteousness for his, for his name's sake, not for my salvation's sake, but for his name's sake. I will walk this way. I will walk in a way that pleases God not to escape the curse, Jesus already took care of that. We walk according to Christ's commandments because he is worthy of that obedience and because what? Because we adore him. We love him. You act differently toward people that you love and adore. As God put it in Deuteronomy, a part we didn't read, if you won't serve me, the God who loves you, you will serve another who doesn't.
you'll be serving your enemy. As Bob Dylan put it, you got to serve somebody. Or it sounded more like this. You got to serve somebody. <laughs> Praise and worship team, you can be making your way up here. You got to serve somebody, so make a choice. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And this word serve, you know, we, it's, it's much more uh, in vogue, I guess, to talk about loving God, our friendship with God, relationship with God, and all of these things absolutely are true. But there is nothing that is antithetical to genuine Christianity and loving relationship with God uh, by saying we serve him. When Paul is giving instructions for marriage uh, to husbands and wives, what's he say? Submit to one another. Serve one another. What did Jesus say to his disciples? You want to be greatest in the kingdom? Become a servant to all. If we can serve one another, certainly we can serve our God who loves us. But he more than makes it worth our while. If we're going to serve somebody, let's serve the one who loves us. Let's serve the one who made all of these precious promises to us. Amen? Stand up with me. I know there was no heavy revy in this message. It was just a longer explanation again of things, uh, something that I have referred to I know several times. I want you to always remember and review the blessings that are spelled out. I love that he doesn't just say, I know what's good for you and I'll bless you. He'll tell you, he tells us exactly how he desires to bless us. You know, we sang at the beginning of this service, I don't remember which, which song it was, but one of the lines in there was, was just part of the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, I will be done. Uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Now, again, I, I, I kind of take a stand against this idea that as believers we're going to experience heaven on earth. I think God is reserving heaven for heaven. But Jesus did teach us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know? Uh, that heaven, whatever else it is, and I believe it is literally indescribable. I think uh, John was doing the best he could in Revelation with the glimpses that God gave him, but he was, only, he was trying to describe things he'd never seen before with words describing things he had seen before. So he was kind of limited, but wow, limited, but he's talking about gigantic buildings made of jewels, streets of gold, gates of pearl. Uh, but whatever else heaven is, can we agree that it is absolutely perfect manifestation of God's will? Right? Do you think anything about heaven is opposed or in any way different or deviated from what God wants it to be? He wants heaven to be exactly the way it is. Now, do you know that in heaven there is no sickness? You know, in heaven there is no poverty. There is no lack. There's no war. There's no depression. And I believe when we speak and declare God's will be done on earth, when we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we can walk in this position of total peace, 
total abundance, yes, even prosperity, total health and healing. I think that these are reflecting the things that God wants for us because we know that these things don't exist in his world. And we can certainly walk in those things as a taste of things to come. These are the promises he's given us. Just as he had promised deliverance, he knew he had a plan to get them out of Egypt. He didn't do it till they called out to him. He has a plan for you, but you must cry out to him. You must yield your life to the God who loves you. Who sa- he says, you're going to serve somebody. You were designed to serve me. And the path of blessing, this path of righteousness, is the one that I created for you. Everything else, you are missing it. If you try to pursue a path uh, of blessing on your own, to your own devices, you will fail. It will ultimately let you down. I created you for myself. Will you yield to him today? Paul put it this way in Romans. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the starting point. It's a personal decision. Does anybody desire to make that decision today? Hey, Pastor Scott, today's my day. I've heard it before. Maybe I just now understood it. I've understood it before. I just now decided to submit to it. But I want to be a Christian. I desire to be saved, and I want to walk in that path of blessing that God has promised. I want to be among those blessed people walking under those precious promises which are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. I'm going to pray real quick and I'm going to ask you one more time. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Father, when we get down and we get depressed and we, and we struggle, thank you for loving us, but forgive us for getting our eyes off the promises and being led by our emotions. Remind us, Lord, starting today, remind us day by day, that those promises are in there and you put them there to be stood on, you put them there to be claimed and that you love us and you hear us and you fulfill your word in our lives. I pray now, Lord God, that if there's anybody in the sound of my voice who does not know you as Father, who has not been saved, uh, has not uh, appropriated the salvation you make so abundantly available by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that they would come to know you today. Holy Spirit, that you would do what only you can do and convict the sinner of their need for salvation, convince them of their need for Jesus, and grant them the humility, the wisdom, and the boldness to respond to your generous offer today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.